A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com code program. Welcome to another episode of On the Continent, your one-stop shop for everything to do with European football. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini. On today's edition, you can get away with one in the Champions League, but you can't get away with two, can you? In which case, how much more do Atletico Madrid have to do after squeezing their way through to the knockout stages? Also, whatever happened to the class of 2015, the Champions League finalist? It's a question of two halves. And have Les Wheels fallen off the bus for the Eastern Conference of Ligue 1? Or do Les Wheels on the bus go round and round in its manager merry-go-round? So, should we start off with talking about Atletico? Do they deserve to be in the knockout stages of the Champions League, Andy? No. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. Um, I felt before this game away at Porto, they could have easily lost all five games before that. Um, they could have made it six if they were in a... Um, in, in that run, in this one. And until the opening goal by Antoine Griezmann, which I think Porto will be kicking themselves for letting in for a, a, a while yet because it was such a soft goal to, to let in. Until that point, Porto were the better team um, through the first half and in, into the second half. Porto really struggled to cope with that, that setback. And of course, everyone knows afterwards how it became... Atletico by numbers <laughs> after that, really, from um, the red card um, for Yannick Carrasco, the quickly buying back the, 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 the red card three minutes later. So Porto had a man's advantage for uh, literally three minutes until um, Cunha sort of... And never, never mind VAR. I think this was PAR, player-assisted <laughs> refereeing, with 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 the dive that that, that Cunha took, and you know it was brilliantly executed in in his defence. And then they were able to pick off Porto at, at, at the end. But I think for a couple of things, really, I think with Atletico, who've been way way short of the mark in this group, um, they had an opportunity, I think, for the first time since they won at Anfield in the last 16 of the, the, the Champions League in um, 2020. I can't believe that was only in 2020. It feels like years ago. But um, it, for the first time, they had this collective experience where they all get on board and fight. They don't play particularly well, but they just find a way to get it done. And it was clear that they all found it a really galvanizing experience you could see that from the way they celebrated the Angel Correa goal and the Rodrigo de Pal goal in the in the closing stages of that 
I still think there's a lot of work to do with what is a very talented squad of players that is trapped in an identity crisis more than ever. And it's a squad that has played very poorly this <laughs> season. Um, but still, I think there was a lot for them to take from this experience. And, and what, what amused me so much, the comments from the Porto side and the way they saw it. Uh, Pepe saying this was like a game from South America. <laughs> and what's, what's he trying to say there? <laughs> and he that, like he was the voice of calm at various stages in it, which is extraordinary. And the the the, the final word I think has to go to Sergio Conceição, who didn't for a moment complain about Cunha's dive, who um, called Vendel a child for 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 putting the elbow up in the first place. I'm slightly taken with this idea that South America is is where is where you go next with the sort of that's where they do that stuff. because in England, <laughs> as we know, it's very often like oh, like the Italians do or like the Spanish do. The Europeans, yeah, yes. like the Europeans. Yeah. We don't do that. So now, then it gets kicked onto South America. Who does who does South America say? <laughs> it's a good question. I can feel Africa coming into the mix there. Anyway, um, but when when Andy says. No, uh, so definitively that they do not, Atletico don't deserve to be in the knockout stages of the Champions League. Do you agree with that, Nicky, given that it doesn't feel as if you can bluff your way into the mm. last 16? I think deserve is such a tricky word because uh, what I agree with Andy on is I think, honestly, I think Atletico Madrid played the worst of all the four teams in the group. Mm. I think um, I think Porto were, were the second best team in this group and probably you know felt like they should go through um but um Milan outplayed Atletico Madrid I thought pretty comfortably twice um were it not for the fact that they got Frank Kessier sent off for a double yellow in the first half when they were one up against them at home I think they would have won that game and I think you would have had um Atletico would have been out of going into that final game basically but the sort of where you can turn that around and say well did Milan deserve to go through when they were in a commanding position in that game and Kessie they weren't you know uh, they were definitely on an, on another day he would not have got the second yellow but it, equally he didn't need to put himself in that position mm. and so do, do they deserve to go through probably not De Porto could Porto have handled that last game of the group better could they have not let themselves get drawn into some of what happened probably mm. so when you get into deserve, I find it complicated, but I do think that um, Atletico Madrid have dodged a bullet. I, I think it's extraordinary when you look and you think they've won four games now in the last two Champions League group stages. They beat Salzburg twice last season. That was enough. This season, you know, they, they really, it feels, it feels to me, in fact, they won two games because they did win that game against Milan. They did it in the 97th minute or something after playing on an extra man for most of the game. It feels like they only won one game this this group, which isn't true, but that's how it feels to yeah. me. Um, and I, it's not it's not what you sort of associate with Atletico. It's not what you associate with uh, Simeone to, to be in this sort of uh, scraping through. They, they, well, they won La Liga last season. They're there's not, they're there's not... no level of control, is there, yeah. with them in, in, in Champions League. It feels almost... I, I, I don't know. There's something a bit Manchester United-esque about it. It's like, well, you know, if if you throw enough darts at the board, eventually you'll get a treble 20. Well, it feels like if you've got Antoine Griezmann, in the end, the he'll quality. fix it for you. Yeah, yeah. Ex exactly. Because of that level of quality. And Angel Correa, who we were talking about, I've been thinking about who's had a great 2021 a lot because like you, Nicky, I've been working on the Guardian top 100 and yes. thinking of who I'd nominate. I'm not giving away anything on here, <laughs> but Angel Correa is one of the most underrated players in Europe and he has been huge for Atletico, especially back half of this season, last season want, and the I'm start just, of this. Before you talk about I want to say not giving anything away, but I know a, a tiny bit of the list and it's made me very angry, so. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it wasn't that part of the list. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I, but... Uh, Correa, the, the the goal he scored to clinch it, I can't think of a, a, a more deserving player because I, I think he's perennially underrated because he's never had a spot found for him in the team, a mm. dedicated role. 
Um, he's just the person who makes some stuff happen in the final third when they need to make some stuff happen in the final third. And that's that's what Atletico feel like to me. It's all very approximative. Mm. There was a plan, certainly in the first half of last season in La Liga. There's not at the moment. It's all very busked. It's all very on the fly. But Correa is actually perfect for that sort of situation. And when you think, this is a player who arrived from Argentina mm. with a big reputation, signed for Atletico, before he'd even played a minute for them, he had to have a heart operation. And then he's turned into this incredible, like, Swiss army knife, fix anything sort of sort of player. And, you know, they just do have a lot of players with a lot of quality. And that's why it's so... I guess, frustrating to see the gap between what they could be and what they actually are. Yeah, it, but it feels like that quality's been built for someone else, right? Like when you've got this squad with all these abundance of attacking options, mm. I mean, we haven't mentioned Juan Felix, whose career is like, where's it going? This teenager mm. he spent hundred and something million euros on. Yeah. Um, it feels like it's it's a squad designed, and Rodrigo de Paul bought this summer as well, who's another sort of um, very fluid, sort of quite... Um, I don't know, ambitious is the word that comes to my mind as a footballer in, in, mm. in terms of the style of football he plays. I really liked him at Udinese a lot. And I, yeah, I was excited same. for him to get this sort of opportunity. But it feels like you've got all these wonderful like attacking players. And in the end, when it came down to it to get through this group, what Simeone wanted to do was go back to Simeone like siege mentality. We're here to fight rather than to sort of play sort of special football kind of mindset. And it works. Like but, it, He's good at it. But the fight has moved on, hasn't it? Because before you could you could trust them to score a goal mm. and and then just grind it out. Mm. Whereas now, like they, they can't really defend deep anymore. That they, 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 they haven't got the players to do that. It's like if there is an Atletico way in inverted commas, it's let's wrestle in the mud and hope for the best, isn't it? And then maybe a bit of inspiration from one of our class players will change something. But it's funny, that defence, it's even had a bit of an impact on on Jan Oblak because mm. he's made a few very, very uncharacteristic errors so far this season. For someone who, I wouldn't say there's a consensus that he's the best goalkeeper in the world, but there's a lot of decent judges who have thought in the last three or four years he is the best goalkeeper in the world. He doesn't look like it at the moment, although he did make one brilliant save from Luis Diaz in the first half of this. You see, you can perhaps have a rear guard action or a siege mentality in the uh, group stages, but that surely won't see you through even one, I'm presuming, one fixture in the knockout stage. I... I draw your attention to the game at Liverpool that I was talking about before, which is a game that I think if Atletico played another 100 times, they'd probably lose it 99. But they always give you that feeling, don't they? That they're gripping onto the floor with their fingernails, trying to find anything to hang on to. And they managed to get it done there, which is extraordinary. I mean, that and if you go back all the way to 2016, when they played the second leg of the Champions League uh, semi against Bayern in Munich... And again, the same. They have nothing of the game. And they get an away goal from Griezmann, hang on to it. Oblak saves a penalty and somehow they get it done. You know, at Anfield, it was the Marcos Llorente game, of course, as I always say. He, he named his dog Anfield <laughs> after that because it was such a pivotal moment in his career. He would. I mean, on, on it's one good sense... good he didn't become a father at that time. Yeah, exactly. In, in one sense, it's, it's, it's good to know that Atletico can still do what they do. I don't think they can do it for for much longer. I don't. I don't really think it's sustainable. But before we leave Group B, I did want to ask Nikki about about Milan. There seems to be a sense in some quarters. I think because of the club's name rather than the club's current circumstances, that it's an underachievement. For me, it felt just about par and as if they like some of those very young players will learn something or some of those very green at this level players will learn something from that. What's, what's you, your thoughts on it? I think it's been a real up and down journey for Milan in this group stage, actually, because I, I thought their first game at, at Anfield was tremendously impressive. It looked for a while like they were going to get blown away mm. and then they, they roared back into it and they played their football, which I really sort of enjoyed and admired. They were sort of playing the, the, this sort of, um, I don't know quite how to sort of um, 
explain it. Sometimes I get stuck in my head in Italian language and I can't sort of <laughs> fix it. Like this sort of the incursioni, like these sort of um, direct lines and the, the, the sort of the, 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 the sort of direct runs, I guess, from the likes of Leao and, and Rahm Diaz. And it was, was working. And I, and I found that quite thrilling, especially at Anfield, because these are kids, like it's such a young team. It's still mm. such a young team. If you take Ibrahimovic out, who's probably been the one real sort of disappointment um, in this year's Champions League, um, I think uh, I think it's it's a really sort of on the up team and and is youthful and um, this team has not been in the Champions League for seven years. I, I think people need to contextualise that. And I thought again in terms of how they played across the group, I think they were more deserving to go through than Atletico were. I thought they played well in that first game away to Liverpool, but they were playing a team that was just better than them and, and it is. They should have beaten Atletico both times instead of just once. I think they let themselves down in the first game against Porto. And I think they let themselves down really badly in this last group game against the sort of rotated Liverpool side. I think that was the one time when I really sort of walked away thinking that they have not, they've not played as well as they should. And, you know, some of that is timing as well. And I think that's what I think about Atletico as well, by the way. When we start talking about this team won't be able to go any further in a competition, who knows how things will look by February? Because mm. teams over the course of a season, they ebb and flow. And I think Milan are playing a bit worse in general right now than they were a month ago, for instance. And so the, the the timing of the fixtures didn't work out for them in that way as well. But I, I, I don't think it's a disgrace. I think it's it's a disappointment that they didn't at least get third and get into the Europa League because um, I think that would have been a nice onward progress for, again, what is a very young group. But when this draw was done at the beginning, I wouldn't have said that I expected Milan to get through this group. I, I was always expecting the two who've gone through to go through and I knew that Porto were going to be very good as well. Uy, que la apuesta Correa. Vamos. Se va a quedar solo delante de Costa. Correa, tienes que marcar. Correa. Gol, 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 gol. It's a good time to reflect back on the class of 2015 uh, Champions League finalists in any case. And where are they now? Um Nikki, I suppose in in different states, um, Barcelona in a more obviously sort of I don't know what to call it. Is it catastrophic? Is that the right term for it? It feels catastrophic right now, but maybe in a season's time we'll look at it and go, it was just you know it was just a moment. You know they'll be all right. Certainly in the big picture, it feels catastrophic because of the financial picture, because the Messi's gone, because this team has lost its sort of core identity. Um, and yeah, not going through to the knockout stages is something that is, in the recent history of Barcelona, unthinkable. Um, I think why I sort of am being a bit more measured than some people are is I think, yes, but actually most of the big European clubs have had these slightly more fallow periods sometimes, and sometimes yeah. they don't last very long. Um, Juventus are in a very different spot. They have had a pretty rubbish um, was not the first word that came into my head. Um, start this season domestically. They haven't been good. Um, but their Champions League campaign, yes, they got embarrassed by Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, but they won the other five games and they finished top of their group, which, frankly, given how they've played domestically, I think is a bit of a miracle. I mean, we spoke about this like before the Chelsea game and before they were absolutely humbled in this. Mm. The possibility that we, we've seen it with so many teams that are in the back end of the Champions League again and again and again. It's the season that you don't expect them to go all the way that they do. You know, I think Chelsea 2012 are a really good example of that. You know, you think of uh, Liverpool 2005, perhaps like relatively weak teams of, you know, teams that are the clubs that we expect to be in the, in, in the, in the sharp end of it. I do kind of wonder with Juventus because they've, they've been handed not exactly a free pass, but the um, late, late, uh, the, uh, um, Odazoyev late late equaliser for, for Zenit has given them first place in the group mm. which I think matters this season actually and it maybe gives them a little bit of a glimmer going into the last 16 even though the bit that they had to do on the night they were pretty ordinary against Malmö yeah I mean so there's two different things I sort of want to come to of that the first of which is well the last two years, they've gone through first. I mean, they've gone through first four years in a row now, I think. But they've gone through first the last two years and got drawn against Leon and Porto, who on paper, even though I'm not, yeah. I'm not disrespecting those teams, but on paper, Juventus going into the Champions League knockout stages Should be were them. very much 
framing those games as, yeah, these are good draws for us. We should win those. And then you go back and it's Ajax who are out of (laughs) a a lesser league. You know, there's no getting away from it. Yeah. Um, And they haven't won those games. So we'll see what happens. Um, But in a sort of more tangible sense, um, I think what uh, was really sort of highlighted again last night, and it's not the only problem with that team, sadly, but what was highlighted again in this game against... um, a game against uh, Malmo was just how desperately that team needs something different up front. Uh, needs needs I think frankly just needs a number nine, um, or it needs a whole new idea of how it's going to play football. Because against Genoa at the weekend, they had I think it was twenty seven shots to none for Genoa, and yet that game stayed in the balance until like the eighty second minute because mm. they just couldn't score. And in this game against Malmo same sort of thing it wasn't quite 27 shots to none but it was a clear sort of domination for most of the game against opponents who are just technically inferior and probably hung over from winning the title at the weekend (laughs) right um but not enough at the sharp end of things a really brilliant goal funnily enough i mean a wonderful cross off the outside of the boot from benedeski but moisiken probably should have scored at least three times in that game and he didn't and yeah this brings us back to January transfer window and can they do something they've certainly got their eyes on Dusan Vlahovic who would be a huge upgrade um, whether or not Fiorentina want to sell in January and certainly to Juventus of all clubs who they despise uh, whether or not Juventus can actually make that sort of deal happen right now when they've got an investigation going on into their finances these are big questions but again I don't even think there's any problem with the team as a starting 11 I think the midfield is just still not good enough but certainly the last few weeks, that specific absence has been highlighted. Alvaro Morata is not right now the number nine they need. And I don't think Moise Kenny's either. Going back to what Nicky was saying at the start of this, in, in terms of where Barcelona are at the moment, the catastrophic bit has already happened. Yeah. You know, this is this is the fallout, basically. Mm. And... Um, you know, Javi because he's Javi and he's got really high standards and he wants to present that image of having really high standards. Um, said that, uh, you know, how he said he said he was really pissed off and, and angry afterwards. And that's fine. But it feels to me that he should be angry with the situation rather than with the team. I mean, did anyone really think, even with some sort of light rotation. Did anyone think they were going to buy in and getting the result they needed? <laughs> I mean, it would have been up there with any shock in recent years because I think when you look at the favourites for this Champions League and I've said it for a, a while now, it's the big three in the Premier League plus Bayern. I, I don't see how there's a winner anywhere else in the in the Champions League if we're following logic. And anything can happen in the knockout stages. We all know that. But there does feel like a big gap between those four and the rest. And, and Bayern in second gear absolutely destroyed Barcelona. Now, there's that level of frustration at the moment, which is something that I think Xavi has to separate himself from because... You know, at least Ronald Koeman, and I know there was um, the, the sense from a lot of supporters and obviously from some people in the club as well that, that he wasn't good enough, um, that he wasn't playing the right sort of football. But I always felt like he had a realistic handle on what they were and where they are at the moment. But with Xavi, that sort of frustration of, we're Barca, we must do better. It's like, well, yeah, you, you're not that version of Barca. You're mm. not the Barcelona team. But he that, is Xavi. But you're and in, he sure. has to dream bigger than Ronald Koeman, even though Ronald Koeman was a, which a Barcelona is, player which, as which well. Which is but. fine. And I would say, like from what I've seen at Barcelona, including a little bit of first hand, there is the willingness to change that. There is the willingness to go back to that culture of the, the way they play football. But there's just only so far it can go at the moment because of what the the resources are. So there has to be that patience. And, you know, when you have in the areas of the Catalan press, I think it was in Mundo Deportivo today, um, you know, they're called uh, Ter and a ghost and said that um, Frankie de Jong did absolutely nothing. I, I, I'm, I'm not really sure what that achieves, really. It's going to take time. They are both in a situation that they didn't sign up for. And... It's going to take a really long way. I would be surprised if we saw them in the Champions League next season. I feel it's a lot of gap to make up towards the top four. Now, of course, some people 
will say, well, you know, they, they, they could just do it before, do it via the Europa League. I understand that it's a big thing for Barcelona to be in the Europa League. I don't see them as one of the obvious candidates to win it. Cool. That, that that would be a That's some come down then for yeah, Barcelona. Yeah, I mean it would be a massive step up in what they're currently doing for them to get to that point. Yeah, I just it's a thing which I sort of feel like I need to say out loud about Barcelona, which I haven't done yet. Um, which is last night the the visual for me, or like not even the visual, I guess the overall sort of because um, it's a sound as well, but the, the the sort of just the 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 reality of a completely empty stadium in Munich and that ridiculous Bayern Munich goal music that plays every time. <laughs> like they have that, that sort of yabba dabba do, and then like it's a can-can music, yeah. isn't it? And it was like, what a way for this sort of story to reach this moment. Mm. Like you're being not just beaten, but it felt like, of course it's not deliberate because Bayern play that music all the time, but it mm. felt like almost like a sort of deliberate mockery. Like it felt like we are absolutely <laughs> sort of humiliating this this sort of club. Um, and I agree with Andy that I don't see that team as, as just because it's Barcelona, the favourite to win the Europa League. I don't think it will be the way they're playing right now, the best team in the Europa League. Um, and I have in my mind this sort of parallel with, with Milan, who were the European um, Italian club for so long under Silvio Berlusconi and they had that awkward period of sort of trying to clasp onto it where you're sort of gradually downgrading the squad and, and then one one day you look around and you just think well this isn't a star-studded squad it no, just isn't you never think happiness is winning an epic penalty shootout at Rio Ave until it actually <laughs> is do you? Carlos, Juan Carlos mira Memphis golazo gol, 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 gol Escuadra la pone, zapatazo que te crió, se llena la bota de balón el holandés, gol de Memphis. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. for the third week in a row we're going to talk about what's happening in France because every week seems to bring forward a new drama uh, this time around uh, Andy this drama seems to be one that is of uh, the football teams making rather than of the fans making yeah I mean there's no complete separation of uh, church and state here but I, I, I think <laughs> when you look at what's happening in the east with Saint-Étienne and Lyon at the moment who've had very very bad weeks um, when you consider it's, it's such a, a hotbed of, of, of French football in two distinct cities in two very different ways um, they've both got a problem at the moment and um, with Saint-Étienne, it is uh, the fact that they're bottom of the table and they're, they're coachless. 
um, Claude Puel, who's been hanging on for a very long time. He's only been... Do you, do you remember when we were talking about him, just about three weeks ago, I said he looked on the sidelines mm. like a dead manager walking. Yeah, and I said at the time, if I'm not mistaken, they couldn't sack him because they couldn't afford it. Mm. Now, what they've realised is they couldn't afford not to sack him. So they lost 5-0 at Rennes, uh, at home to Rennes at the weekend, where they had um, the two areas behind the goal shut because of previous crowd stuff, where people were throwing fireworks and pyrotechnics on the pitch to protest his leadership of of the club. Now, Saint-Étienne are looking like being taken over at the moment. They're for sale. Um, there are four buyers um, that have been attracted by KPMG who've been tasked with finding a, a buyer for the club. Um, one of the potential ones is a Russian consortium led by uh, Roman Dusov, who had involvement in taking over Portsmouth in 2011, who later, and no one's saying it's completely his fault, um, went into administration. But KPMG are apparently absolutely fine with that. Now, the sacking of Puel is interesting because... Um, one of the consortiums who are interested in buying the club, they are really concerned about what's happening on the pitch. They don't want to buy a club that's going to go from Ligue 1 club to Ligue 2 club. Now, to me, that says that maybe they've got some sort of advantage in the race if the club have decided, well, to show that we're doing something, to show that we're not just neglecting the club and we're handing it over in decent nick, we've got to do something about the sporting situation, which is an absolute mess at, at, We've at got the to moment. put the blame on the coach. Yeah, mm. and I, I think he, I think he deserves a lot of the blame because it's not just coaching; it's it's management and his choices of ostracising some players and then realising he had to bring them back in a sort of turbo Steve McLaren manner. Um, you know, it's it's a huge club, which is a huge deal in French football circles, and they they can't continue in this way. On the other hand. They, there is a, a silver lining to every cloud, I suppose. <coughs> and what they'll be looking at is what's going on down the road at Lyon. And that will be cheering them up a, a, a little bit because Lyon also a mess at the moment. Problems of their own. In which way? Um, well, a, a couple of ways. Um, I think you look at um, Peter Bosch, the coach, and we talk about the acceleration of the Mourinho model, really, um, and what's happening at Roma at the moment. How I think especially Tottenham watchers ex expected everything with Mourinho to fall apart at Roma. But it's happening very quickly. It's like the difference between reading War and Peace and reading the York notes, isn't it? it it's, it's just happening at such an extraordinary well, spark speed. Spark notes it, are available too. It's funny, with Mourinho, we're going off topic here, but with Mourinho, it's funny because Gazette de la Sport actually published like a, a graph this morning of how many games, because he's played, he's coached, I think, 23 games now at Roma. Mm. And it's a graph of how many of the first 23 games he lost at various clubs. And of course, for most of his career, it's it's not many. And then mm. it gets to Tottenham and it's eight. And at Roma, it's also eight. So Tottenham actually huh. had exactly the same number of games lost at this point under Mourinho that Roma have. But yeah. Oh, that, that is interesting. But sorry, we were talking about Leon and we've gone... No, well, well, no, no there is a, there is a link. Yeah, I, I think, think it's all linked because like talking about the magic not lasting as long. Mm. Um, that's certainly been the case with Peter Bosch, who's known for a particular philosophy, a certain way of, of, of playing football, an attractive, aggressive way of, of playing football. And it was ambitious trying to mould, I guess, a more exciting footballer at, at Lyon in, in, in doing that, particularly after the Rudy Garcia reign. But it's not worked out. And, you know, they've got a lot of good players in that squad. Um, you look at them signing uh, Pakatar, them going and signing uh, Jerome Boateng um, in, in, the, in the summer. Uh, sort of um, Emerson, of course, European Championship mm. winner. Some ambitious signings. And it looks as if the players don't believe it anymore, which I think is a huge problem. Now, they went to Bordeaux, who are terrible at the moment, and um, let a lead slip twice, ended up drawing 2-2. But for Anthony Lopez, the goalkeeper who Boss tried to buy Andre Onana, his former Ajax protege, to replace in the summer. And Lopez had to put up with this very public pre-demotion. 
Um, he's relied on Lopez. Lopez has been terrific because the defense has been absolutely terrible. And um, he made a few saves at the, the, the weekend to preserve this point from a game they thought they should have won quite comfortably. The thing that really underlined where Bosch is at at the, at the moment was the, the second goal, the second Bordeaux equaliser, where Leon lose the ball. It's Malagusto, who's only 18 years old, the fullback, who loses the ball about 35 yards from the Bordeaux goal. And Bordeaux breaking, there's no one behind him. And they're winning and they've got all their players, every player apart from the goalkeeper in the front third of the pitch. And you're thinking, this can't be happening in a professional game. I must be imagining this. (laughs) But it really is happening. And we know Peter Bosch. We know he won't change, even though he switched the three at the back here, which only added to the defensive confusion because he brought in that tactic the night before the game. The players turn up, realise they're playing that way, and they're like, oh, okay, this is this is new. And they, they played like it was very new as well. Now, the other thing is Peter Bosch had a very close relationship with Janino, the sporting director, of course, the best player in the club's history. He's quit. He's leaving in winter as, we know as, as well. Well, he's, he's not really got on with the people around him in recruitment and, and, and management. He's sort of been propped up by the president, Jean-Michel Olas, the president, planned to give him more responsibility, but he's not been ready for it. Now, he's convinced some players to come, including um, Lucas Pacatar, Joan Boateng, as we mentioned before, Bruno Guimaraes, who's, who's, who's been great, came over from Brazil. But, but you've, you've got to be more than someone who's respected and therefore attracts a few signings. You know, there's got to be a strategy. There's got to be a policy. And there's there's not that at the moment. You know, it, it feels as if they're very, very badly run at the moment. Now, of course, there's a, there's a stuff off the field as well. Yesterday, they were deducted a point and made to um, play again in the future of the game against um, Marseille, which was abandoned after a couple of minutes after Dimitri Payet was hit on the head with that bottle. Now, interestingly, linking both what's happening on the pitch and off the pitch in 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 France, um, everyone's pissed off with the verdict. Leon think it's draconian that have been doctor point for the um, intervention of like one individual who, who they um, got arrested like pretty much straight away. Marseille, understandably, think they shouldn't have to play the game again. Mm-hmm. and particularly at Leon's ground, even though it will be empty. And it's just another indication of administrative chaos and no one really taking responsibility. Well, I'm, I'm surprised that the league doesn't just, you know, drop down, read them, all the teams in the French league out, the riot act, because their product is disintegrating before mm-hmm. their eyes. Yeah, it is. And it's, as we were saying before, it's strange in a season where Messi the greatest of the great arrives mm. that, you know... It's n- not disintegrating for PSG. Really? It's all cool. Is it? Well, Pochettino's get, getting getting his. He's he's getting plenty of stick at, at, at the moment. But what, where are they at? They're still at the top of their game, aren't they, PSG? They're... I, I think this kind well, they, of links together everything we've been ta- <laughs> talking about, really, because if you go back, I, I don't think they're that far from Atletico. Their way, their way of playing... They've got the individuals to make it to get the results in Liga. They are never going to win the Champions League in current state. Mm. It's, it's, it's not going to happen. Why? They're, they're disorganised. Um, they're defensively malleable. They're simply not as good as the the top four teams in it. They've kind of removed a problem at the moment in that Neymar, who remains a great player, of course, is not playing. So it means Mbappe plus one. If it's Mbappe plus two if it's him, Messi and Neymar, I mean, they can't, they're just not good enough without the ball to get anywhere. With those two, and you just see how great Mbappe is by the individual links he's made with both of those players so far. But of course, the fact is they could be left next season without without the one they really need (laughs) and relying on Messi and Neymar, which I kind of want to see. I just don't know if I agree with you though that it can't happen. I think we've seen so many sort of teams in the Champions League go on a run and surprise us and defy things. Is this to trump my Juventus pick? Well, I just, I just, it's not. It's not my pick. Funnily, I have a. I have a. Um, 
yeah, I have different dark horses in my head for this one. But I just, I think if if Antoine Griezmann can dig um, Atletico Madrid out of an under, out of a group that they probably didn't deserve to get mm. through, then why can't Messi and Mbappe just have? It's not that many games to win the Champions League. They're hard games, but it's not that many games. It doesn't take that many nights of... And depends yeah. on the draw and yeah. all that sort of stuff. It just doesn't take that many nights of, of, of you know, oh yeah, kind of played badly, but we scored three incredible goals to to make it happen. And they've got me super excited because I don't know whether I'm more looking forward to Mbappe winning the Champions League in Paris <laughs> and, and immediately leaving <laughs> or next season with just Messi and Neymar. Sur la pluie, c'était bien joué avec Giroud. Oh, Silva! Oh, Silva, il l'a vu! Oui. Kylian Mbappé! Ouais Kylian Mbappé, il l'a vu! Ça fait 4 et ça fait peut-être un quart de finale pour l'équipe de France, 68e minute! In a moment, we'll get your games of the week, uh, Nikki and Andy. But first, let's go through some of these questions on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, I say. Twitter, you not. We will not titter at your questions. Please do Twitter. Don't titter. Tweet us at any time during the course of the week. You can tweet us at at Football Ramble, at Dotton Adebayo, at Andy Brassel, and at Nikki Bandini. A question that perhaps we should have discussed earlier when we were talking about uh, Juve. Amazon's All or Nothing series on Juventus. Uh, did we miss the real chaos of 2021? Do you think the focus on Chiesa was a coincidence or to shine the spotlight on the future star of Juventus? Asked Graham. I mean... I think that anyone watching any of these All or Nothing series, they're, they're, they're fun, they're interesting, but you should probably assume that you're missing the real story because it's kind <laughs> of it's kind of not what they are. They're not there to give you sort of the hard-hitting... Um, they wouldn't be allowed to. Exactly. They're not there to give you the hard-hitting scoop that, um, that the club didn't want you to know. They're there with the club's endorsement and they're there to tell stories. And I know some people... Um, you know, I know some sort of hard-nosed hacks who think they have no value. I actually completely disagree because I'm not someone who thinks that the hard-nosed sort of, you know, scoop they don't want to give you is the only interesting thing that happens in the world. I think it's it's really interesting to to see these stories and to, to the get mundane bits are sometimes interesting, yeah. aren't they? Well, to see who's sitting in the dressing room on their own, like three meters away from everybody else. Western McKenney's views on coffee. Well, yeah, <laughs> Western McKenney and George and Chiellini talking about ranch dressing was for me great fun. Um, <laughs> But but understand what you're watching. You're not watching, you know, that. You're watching a sort of a, a glossy um, uh, sort of collaboration. Um, mm -hmm. And and I think, again, I think that has value. And I, and I think it's not insincere to say that everyone at Juventus has been very excited about Federico Chiesa. A lot of Italy's been very excited about Federico Chiesa after he played at the Euros. He's currently going through a bit of a more difficult patch, but I, I'm still excited about Federico Chiesa as a footballer. Um but no, you know, just like the Tottenham series of All or Nothing was in many ways a, a, a sort of, um, I would say, a Jose Mourinho narrative and at times a quite unreflective Jose Mourinho narrative, or at least a very partial Jose Mourinho narrative is probably a better way of putting it. It felt like he was the ringmaster. Yeah. You know, I'm the director. Oh, you, I am the special one, so I'll direct this if you don't mind. And he got what he wanted as well. Exactly. You know, that season, I mean, you know, with that with that series, I thought that I just felt very sorry for Pochettino, whose sort of part in the story was practically written out of it completely. A footnote. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But that's, yeah, you know, it, again, same thing with that, seri that season. There's still interesting stuff in it. Just don't take it as at face value. Everything in here is is everything that was going on. This tweet from Zagadont. Um Tedesco to Leipzig, what on earth is going on there? It's an interesting pick, that's for sure. I mean, he was um, a coach who is still a young coach who came through on the same um, class as Julian Nagelsmann, a former coach of Leipzig, so they're, they're, they're pretty close. Um, Tedesco started brilliantly at Schalke. Then it started to fall apart, not entirely through his fault, but of course the end of that was losing 7-0 at Manchester City in the Champions League. 
I don't know what, what part of that sentence sounds worse, the losing 7-0 or the in the Champions League. That's right, Schalke are now in the middle of the second division in the Champions League. Um, the concern I have, I think there's a really good coach in there and he had his moments in Russia. He's quite a cautious coach though. And with Leipzig, traditionally, and all set by Ralph Rangnick mostly, uh, focus on young players, energy, pressing, he um, sits and counters. And I think that's maybe a bit of a cultural issue. So that, that's that's why I'm finding it hard to get this. I, I understand Zagadon's um, concerns, or what seem to be his concerns. I do love it when we get a, a tweet that, you know, we, we can empathise uh, with. So mm. this is one of those. Uh, by the way, I ate all the pies just before you hear this, yeah? <laughs> okay. <laughs> from Oscar. This is from Oscar. It says, always wondered whether the, whether the styles of play we associate with countries, for example, tiki-taka uh, with Spain, Germany's pressing, etc., are reflected in the lower leagues, the non-league, and here we come up to my level, the amateur level. Are Spanish pub blokes playing tiki-taka or do they lump it like they're on Hackney Marshes where I've played? Uh, Nikki, this tickled you as well. It did because in my, God, it must have been my early 20s, um, I went with like a sort of a sort of social football group who sort of formed a bit of a ragtag but but having a good time team um, and we went uh, to Naples to play a couple of games and we ended up playing this game against a, you know, it's a Naples, it's a Sunday league team that was through a connection that someone had, through a friend that we got sort of um, together with. And um, they, um, it was a, it's an extraordinary thing because, I mean, casual pitches in Naples, they're, they're not like casual pitches in, in, in England mostly, you know, where you expect there's going to be grass. I mean, it was basically played on dirt, um, but still they sort of made it into such an event because, I guess, because we come from abroad and they had fireworks before kickoff. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Just for you. And, and then... When they started playing, like this team uh, was using like a four-six-zero formation without a striker, <laughs> and I just I can't. Did they have a tubby totty? <laughs> they, 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 they didn't have a tubby. Anyone? Everyone was very sort of nippy and quick and and, really? and terrifying. They're a lot harder than us on um, the continent. Trust me. It was just it was it was so fascinating because I just thought you know. It's probably like not true anymore that English Sunday League teams are all just going to be like four four two and lump it to the big man. But I do think that level of sort of tactical thinking is is so sort of in, endemic to the Italian mindset about football. Like you do like tactics is what you're brought up with when you play football, when you think about football. That yes, even the Sunday League teams, even the the teams of, of mates from the local bar are talking about tactics to a degree and in a way that I think probably is is above and beyond what happens in some other countries. Finally, a game of the week from either of you. Do you want to go first, Andy? Sunday night, um, Real Madrid versus Atletico Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid have opened up a little gap at the top in the last couple of weeks. And Atletico, as we were saying before, really struggling. Uh, lost at home to uh, Mallorca last week, which was... A shambolic result, really. Um, they need, if they're going to make a title race of this, to go to the Bernabeu and win, which I think is easier said than done, even though Karim Benzema looks like he won't be fit. I guess you would hope from the neutral perspective or Atleti perspective that they will be sort of galvanised by that win um, in Porto. I don't think they have the level of organisation to get through that. But watch it to... Uh, to find out. Mm. And what are you going to niam with it? Well, what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to combi a traditional Sunday fair with something a bit more Spanish. So I'm thinking roast the chicken, mm -hmm. then carve it to go into the paella. Mm. I'm just going to get chicken and chips for that one. <laughs> uh, what about you? I'm sorry. You never listen to a word I say. No, not often, <laughs> but Nikki. I, I mean, where else could we go after the Madrid derby yeah. but Verona against Atalanta? Oh, Obvious, you yes, know, straight yes. for the highest profile. Actually, it's a Genoa derby on, on Friday night, the Derby della Lanterna, which I would normally always recommend because it's one of those derbies that even though it isn't such a big sort of fame, famous one, it's actually like a really proper derby. But 
both teams are so bad recently that I can't recommend people go watch that game. <laughs> um, whereas Verona, just last weekend, 3-0 down against Venezia in the second half, came back to win 4-3. They're playing really sort of fun football under Igor Tudor. And of course, there's also Giovanni Simeone, son of... Diego, who we've been talking about on the podcast, who's on fire. I think like mm. he's been a quite streaky striker before in his career, but I actually think we might be at the point where he's turning the corner into something more um more sort of serious. And I think he's worth watching. Atalanta are always worth watching, but I think lately have been especially worth watching. Of course, we're recording before their um delayed game against Villarreal, so we don't know how that's gone. But um, I would certainly expect them to uh, come out and play this game. And this is in Fair Verona, where we lay our scene in ancient uh, two households, both alike in dignity, uh, both in ancient <laughs> so that's, grudge that's, that's, breaks to new mutiny and all of that. The, that's the question, Don. Yeah. What did you normally eat at the theatre? <laughs> Popcorn, obviously. So my recommendation for this game, too easy because it's Christmas time. Uh, Verona is famous for the Pandora. Of course, lots of people in England, I think, are probably more familiar with the Panettone as the Italian Christmas cake. But Pandora is uh, a simpler version because it's just sort of buttery cake that you cover with powdered vanilla sugar and it's delicious. So, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou? This was a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.